all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 220 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Phil Kigi episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that there is actually a guitarist out there by the name of Phil Kigi, and he happens to have an album, and that album's name is none other than 220. And with that wonderful little bit of guitarist Phil Kiggy news, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. It's sunny finally once again here in California. After many, many, many days of it raining, it's now sunny, at least for a couple more. It, it's crazy the amount of flooding and trees being uprooted from all this sudden shock of water is just absolutely bizarre. It's almost like I'm back in Houston. Oh, yeah, where we have uh, entire sections of freeway just collapsing out from underneath us, so that's fun. Yeah, I, I had my dad and my aunts come and visit me uh, this past week, and there, my dad was out here for about five days, and I've been living out in California for about five years now, and I'm just now having family come and visit me. And of course, the time period, the time that my dad comes to visit me in normally what is sunny California, even in February, it's pouring down rain every single day. In fact, <laughs> the first full day he was here, it was the worst storm in six years here in LA. So, wow. and what's crazy is guess what that name of that storm was? Tim. Lucifer. They called it Storm <laughs> Lucifer. No joke, it was That's on the news hilarious. and shit. That is definitely priceless. Uh, yes, unfortunately though, I missed your dad. I was hoping to use him as a courier for our new business cards. Um, but uh, alas and alack, twas not to be. Yeah, he he I he I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> I just know that that that's what happened. Yeah, well he uh, he told me he didn't want to be our drug mule. Um I I, I think he was <laughs> he was misinterpreting what we meant by business cards. I think he meant I he thought ah, I was giving a little thought, wink he, and a nudge by saying that. Oh, I see. He he must have thought that business cards was the new extra crispy fries. Is that is that the idea? That's what happened? You know, it's actually pretty funny you bring up Extra Crispy Fries, which automatically <laughs> brings up Burger King. But it actually ties into my News of the Weird. You have News of the Weird? What? What the what? I know, right? You, you had no idea I was going to bring this up. But it, it pertains to Valentine's <laughs> Day um, in equal amounts as it does to Burger King. So I must ask you, how was your Valentine's? Did... You shower your wife with love, with roses, with pink stuff? Um, no. Um, Valentine's Day, all of my, all of my special lady friends here at the house, which would of course be my wife and my three daughters, um, all of them got a rose. They each got one rose. Uh, they, and they were surprised by it because I snuck off while I was working and snuck by the house and left them for them at the house. Um, because my, my wife, uh, is one of those women, God bless her, who is like, oh, chocolate makes you fat. I don't want chocolate. And then roses just die. So, you know, so, so we, what we try to do is, um, 
as close as we can to uh, Valentine's Day. We try to spend some time together. You know, if we can get a date in, that's fine. Otherwise, we'll just um, have a nice family dinner together and stuff like that and just kind of keep it low-key because generally we're too busy during the week. And, of course, with my job, I have to work Valentine's Day anyway. So, Did you deliver any Valentine's Day hearts? Heart pizzas? Oh, yeah, of course. You know we did. <laughs> you know we did. Um, yeah, they were doing a deal, and it was, uh, uh, what was it? A heart-shaped pizza and a double chocolate chip brownie for, for like fifteen ninety nine or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it was insane. I mean, seriously. I mean, even with as smoothly as it ran, and it ran really smooth. Uh, I mean, they had people from corporate come in and staff the make line and uh, help with prepping and stuff and logistics and whatnot. Well, we had like every single damn driver known to man at the store. And even with it running as smoothly as it was running, some stuff still wasn't getting out for, you know, getting out to people until like an hour. So, it was crazy. Nothing says anything like predictive irony than a heart made out of cheese and uh, and bread. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 of course, you can get pepperoni on them, too. That is true. That is true. Well, you could have found yourself in Israel going to a Burger King and having a pretty good time, uh, if, if, you, if you believe that or not. And you might have a good time at that... Burger King in Israel because it turns out that you could have gotten an 18-year-old pl- well hang on I guess you could go to Israel and get an 18-year-old but you could have gotten an adults only Valentine's Day meal box happy meal box at Burger King and within that happy meal adults only Valentine's Day meal happy whatever box comes <laughs> two whoppers two packs of french fries, two beers, and a romantic adult toy inside. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing this. I remember seeing, but it's not as bad as all of that. It was like a blindfold or something. A feather duster and yeah. in like a head scratcher thing that could be used for the ball sack if your balls are as big as a human head. But apparently to this adweek.com article, uh, Burger King offers an adults-only Valentine's Day meal with a different kind of toy inside, written by Tim Nudd. Um, They do mention that, yes, BK is now putting sex toys in its combo meals. The offer is available Tuesday on Valentine's after 6 p.m. And apparently Burger King has been experimenting with other kinds of grown-up meals as of late, with ad agency David helping to introduce the King Senior in Brazil. And that meal came with two Whopper combos, one for a senior citizen, and a free one for the person accompanying them. (laughs) Saying, quote, Since every meal box comes with a gift, this one is no different. A gift that is more valuable, company, end quote. Burger King said of the King Senior. So, uh, yeah, so Brazil, you get your old man burger meal that you, I guess, feel obligated eating with a, eating it with a, uh, with an old man. Or you can go to Israel and get your velvet eye cap, a, uh, a French made feather duster, or a, 
head slash ball sack little metal massage tingler. Ball sack tingler. I just like the. I just think that should be the term. It's no longer the little head massager. It's now a ball sack tingler. <laughs> that's. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's right. We we bring class to the Oscars, Tim. That's what we do. <laughs> oh, wait. That's this weekend, isn't it? It is. It's upcoming on Sunday. So, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, man. Um, well, that's definitely some fun news of the weird. Uh, I did do a quick check of the old mail sack, speaking of uh, ball sack tinglers. And um, we, alas, do not have any mail, nor do we have any Twitter followers to mention. But if you would like to be one of those lucky Twitter followers mentioned, you can, of course, follow us at the SLS cast on Twitter. And if you want to send us an email, please feel free to do so by sending an email to the show at SLScast.com. So, yeah. So what do you say, Tim? Are we ready to get down to the nitty gritty and close out our... Oscar spectacular by doing a whopping six movies here. You know, if you're into like taint play, also, I'm sure this ball sack massage head tingler <laughs> thing can also satisfy those needs as well. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> and and if, and if you happen to bend one of those little. You know, one of those little wires out of whack. I'm sure one of them can be used for prostate massage while you're fucking around with the taint. Yes, of course. Uh, um, that's th- thank you for that, Tim. Thank, you know, you're welcome. Let's let's get on to the <laughs> let's mosey down to the to the flicks. All right. So here's how this is going to work this week, folks. Um, we're going to go ahead and, as we mentioned. We, strictly speaking, don't have an actual third segment this week, uh, but due to the sheer amount of movies that we have to cover and the fact that we want to go and give our official picks for the Oscar nominees, um, we are going to do the movies first and have our movie section, and then we're going to go ahead and run through the Oscar nominees um, with everything closed out. And so, without further ado, it is time for... The movies. All right, so this week's movies are in no particular order Fire at Sea, Land of Mine, Tony Erdman, I Am Not Your Negro, The Red Turtle, and My Life. As a courgette, also titled My Life as a Zucchini. So, where do you want to start there, Tim? How about Fire at Sea? Fire at Sea, alright. And this is not uh, telling gunsmen to just shoot things into the water. Um, alright. But, um, anyway, alright, so. <laughs> <laughs> That was actually pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> and I like how you were expecting me to, to 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 for me to be audibly laughing. Oh, I really was at least something. I thought maybe you know, even like Jesus, Matt, that was stupid. I was waiting for something, but okay, it was good. I, you know, I, I I think this movie would have been more entertaining if it was just men firing guns at the sea. I agree. All right, so 
this is a 2016 Italian documentary film. And um, it, it, it is a film that is nominated. Okay, it. I like how they did this one. Okay, so here's what's up. This is an Italian documentary film. Okay, and it is nominated for best best Academy Award for. It's basically nominated for best documentary. It was also selected as an entrant for best foreign language film. But did got, did not get nominated. And I like, and here's what I like about the, you know, the, the brass on these people, uh, because they very, very strategically put it in as an entrant for both categories because this is a documentary. Um, Tim, what was the documentary? I can't remember. I think it was last year, the one where they had kind of like some of the recreations of stuff and some of, and, and, some of the documentary stuff was um, oh. kind of like trippy and, you know. Are you talking about colors. The Act of Killing? Yes, The Act of Killing. Yeah, that was okay. from three this... years ago, I think. Really? Three years? Holy well, shit. Well, the sequel okay, was so... last year. The si- It was like The Look of Silence or The Something of Silence. Right. Okay, there you go. Yes. All right. So, wow. Um, so, <laughs> we've been doing this for a while, folks. Um, all right. So, much like the act of killing this is a this movie is um it, it's takes place on the sicilian island of lampedusa during the uh european migrant crisis okay and this is kind of like their version of uh talking about cubans like if you're trying to you know bring it home to something that's relatable here this would be very much akin to what uh Cubans have historically gone through to escape Cuba in order to get to Miami and so this movie actually uses real found footage to help punctuate the crisis but also does deliberate reenactments of things um and kind of gives a um and and the reenactments really kind of just boil down to a, a, just a movie. Um, and so much like Act of Killing, where you have a whole bunch of creative notes inbred uh, into the film itself, it really kind of loses its documentary structure, even though it is trying to relate the story of these migrants and in a documentary way. So they were very slick in putting it in for the documentary, but also for best foreign film, because technically speaking, it could have been both. I think that's what hurts this movie the most. I, I really think that while this movie is, uh, it, it has a very important story to tell. Um, and even story is not the right word. I think it has a very important message to send. I think is the better way to put that. Um, but I really feel like it just, um, it just simply, uh, it simply couldn't find its footing overall. I think that, um, they either needed to just fully dramatize this or they needed to maybe do this as a documentary short film, uh, something maybe 30 to 40 minutes long instead of trying to pull this out as a feature length film. Um, it's not one of those things where, like we were talking about with Passengers or something like that, where it's too milk toast because it's trying to be too many things at once and so, and it doesn't succeed at all. Um, it, it's just that the deliberate choices that were made, I think, um, 
I, I think just really hurt, uh, hurt the filmmaking style. So at the end of the day, I give this, uh, I'm going to give this movie a three. I do like the movie, but I don't know. It, it's just structurally, narratively, it's got some serious flaws to it. And it's a shame because, um, I think that the message, uh, could have, uh, could have been much more powerful. What do you got there, Tim? This could have been an absolutely incredible documentary. I like the idea of showing the contrast of uh, of of the the citizens of the island to the refugees. It's it's absolutely fascinating, and I I, I do like that contrast. But it came across as a as a document as a, uh, as, a as a foreign language film. All the shots felt too strategic. You know, it it felt very stagey when it came to the this the 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 segments regarding the Italian citizens, um, and there were too many wonderfully positioned static shots that were there just to eat up the runtime. It felt like it just didn't feel like a documentary, which I guess every great documentary, uh, uh, maybe a number of them, shouldn't necessarily feel like an all-out documentary. But this one, I just didn't know what it was trying to be. Now that, Matt, that you said that, um, that they were trying to go for either a documentary or a foreign language film entrant, um, it, it, it kind of annoys me a little bit because it felt like they were kind of trying to cheat the system in a way. Granted, I don't think that is the case, but it it just really... I didn't, I just don't think it's as... As uh, as great as it's cracked up to be, I felt like it felt like what they were trying to reach for was a little too pretentious. At how they were going about doing it, um, and when it came down to it, I think this easily could have been a very good documentary short. And I think shortening it, you would have got that more. It would have. Um, I think it would have resonated more with the audience, with me especially, and I think. You you wouldn't run the risk of absolutely uh, of uh, of alienating the audience, alienating some of the audience into thinking, what is this movie trying to be when it's twenty minutes into it? So that is why I give this one two point five out of five. It's interesting. Clearly, a number of people find this documentary and how it was shot absolutely amazing and wonderful. It's just not the case for me. I think it would have been absolutely perfect as a documentary short. Awesome. Okay. Uh, where do you want to go from here, sir? About the uh, our final documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. I Am Not Your Negro. 2016 American documentary film. This is uh, directed by Raoul Peck. And it is based on James Baldwin's unfinished manuscript, Remember This House. Uh, it's narrated by actor uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And... Um, and basically this, uh, the, the film is, uh, a, a, an amazing visual treatise, if you will, on race, racism, and looks at it through the lens of, uh, James Baldwin and his reminiscences of, uh, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, where OJ made, where OJ made in America kind of back uh, uh, backdrops the history of racism and race relations in terms of kind of able to focus it on one entity. This um, really kind of 
goes the other way. And it starts at several singular points, again, with civil rights leaders, and then puts it out against the picture of racism as a whole. And it makes it really, really hard um, to determine, for me, which way is better. Because you're you're looking at um, you're you're looking at the, the the invective that's used in 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 the study of racism comes from uh, comes from a black man, whereas um, OJ has a history of trying to be a, a a black man existing in a in a white world where you have James Baldwin who exists as a black man in a black world uh, against a white backdrop and is unapologetic about it. Um, I, I don't think it's fair to say that they're too heavy-handed at times, um, but I think that's something that that gravitas that Jackson brings to the table as a narrator um, inadvertently feels so. And it's and again, I don't think it's an indictment or a chastising, if you will. Um, it's not. I think that I think what makes this what what makes this particular documentary so clever is that um, it's inviting you through the trials and tribulations of men who were flawed it clearly you know who, who who had their own they had their own issues um malcolm x martin luther king especially um and yet they became more than the sum of their parts and it invites you to do the same so the only thing is is that i i um, I'm not, it, I, I feel conflicted about Jackson's narration and that's really the only sticking point. And it really, for me is makes it difficult between a 4.75 and a five. Um, I don't know that he was the wrong choice. I'm not trying to say he was the wrong choice at all. I'm just, I, I think that, um, it, it may, I just think, I just think that, some of I, I think I think in the way that he brings it um, can in some way distract from everything else that the film is trying to say. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, it, it is it is kind of a weird contradiction, and I don't know, Tim, help me out. What do you, I mean? Does am I making any sense? Because uh, yeah, I feel like I'm going in circles here. um i'm not sure i i liked sam, uh, sam jackson's uh, narration personally so like did you not like his uh because I, I know he was he was more much more reserved than i think what more people would think i think more people would expected uh I, I mean maybe not most people but i'm sure a number of people ex- would expect samuel jackson to have that kind of uh not loud but like that more that fiery fierce kind of straightforward voice that a lot of us are used to hearing him uh, uh, having. Uh, But in this documentary, his narration is more reserved and more personal as if he is actually uh, writing in a diary or 
reading the narration directly from the diary, which is pretty much what he's doing, trying in some right. way to convey how James Baldwin was feeling and uh, at that time of writing in his diary. Okay, that's kind of where it at. That that's kind of encapsulating what I'm going on. because I feel like it drifts from true narration into performance. Not that I have no problems with his with, with his having been reserved. I mean, nobody, you know, that it's it's you know not talking about I am not you know I'm tired of these motherfucking you know white folk. No, it's not it's not that kind of a thing. Uh, and I don't mean to uh, say it like that. This has nothing to do with kind of the persona of Samuel L. Jackson. And so, yeah, but I I don't know I I don't. And that, that's the only thing that kind of is a sticking point with me, but I don't necessarily think that's fair. So, ah, man, I'm going to, you know, what? I'm, I, you know, I went for it with OJ. I'm going to go for it here too. five stars. It is, it is a powerful, powerful documentary. And even if maybe I'm just, it's just, um, my interpretation of what I'm, of what I'm hearing. And, uh, it's certainly subjective in, in that regard. Um, I don't think it's fair to hold it against it like that. Um, so I'm giving it five stars, and man, do we have a run for our money for me between uh, OJ and um, I Am Not Your Negro. So, Yeah, this is definitely my uh, tide for my second favorite documentary of the year. It's not quite a five, but a 4.75. I did, again, uh, thoroughly enjoy Samuel Jackson's narration. I thought he uh, did a very interesting job at encapsulating the uh, the the writings uh, verbally ca- encapsulating the writings of James Baldwin I enjoyed the experience of understanding James Baldwin's uh, James Baldwin the human being uh, his uh, adaption or evolution as a civil rights leader a person of color and as a human being one who was affected by the civil rights in America at that time Um. It's just very interesting because as you're, I mean, they're going through his diaries, his notes, his manuscript. So you get a feeling of how he felt early on and then how his feelings evolved due to all the things that happened throughout the time of his writing. And it's just absolutely wonderful. He served as a great kind of median, uh, as a great median between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Um, in, in many ways, because whereas Martin Luther King, people thought he wasn't uh, physical enough or he wasn't angry enough. And with Malcolm X, he was too angry and too physical and didn't really have and a lot of people felt that he didn't have uh, just that that conscious uh, the, the, that conscious on his shoulder. Um, he just felt like he had to fight violence with violence. Um and and it kind of shows you how James Baldwin at a time was going back and forth between Martin Luther King's point of view and then Malcolm X's point of view and a number of other point of views as well but you can just see how he you, you can you can see his missteps i guess as the documentary goes along and it's very interesting uh and and absolutely fascinating i thought it's a it's a well made documentary but the reason why i'm giving it a 4.75 out of 5 is that um i thought that the movie had a the documentary had a great build but it didn't have the ending payoff that i was expecting it just kind of was over 
I don't want to say fizzled out. It was just kind of over. Like, the movie builds the first, like, 40 minutes of it. Man, it has... It's going somewhere. And then it just stays up there. Just stays up there. Just stays up there. And then it just ends. Um, And then I... And there were... And then, and then there was also a lot of jumping back and forth in regards to the timetable or the or the timeline um to where it kind of took me a little while to ease into what what he was talking about given uh, uh given the the this the imp- uh given the specific um subject in the timetable that that subject was taking place in or time frame that that subject was uh, taking place then. So, uh, but other than that, I mean, it was just really a few, a couple little technical uh, problems. But overall, it's a fascinating documentary about a fascinating subject that's well worth checking out, especially at a movie theater. So, 4.75 out of 5 for me. Right on. Where do you want to go from here, sir? How about Tony Erdman, man, 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 man? All right. Tony Erdman, man, 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 man. Okay. 2016 German-Austrian dramedy, basically. Uh, And and honestly, they have this one, I think, more accurately listed as a comedy drama. uh, Because while there are certainly serious notes to it, it is, I think, definitely trying to be more lighthearted overall. Um, It is uh, directed, written, and co-produced by Maren Ade. And it stars Peter Simon uh, Czech and Sandra Hewler. Um... So what we have here is a, uh, we have Winfried Conradi, uh, who, who's a, uh, basically he's a single guy, he's divorced, and he is one of the weirdest people you will ever meet, who basically just enjoys living life in whatever kind of terms or phase or vision or view he wants to live in life that day. Um, consequently, he has, uh, tons of fake personas. He, uh, does lots of fun for him, pranks and stuff like that. Um, and he is contrasted, this, this gentleman with obviously a zeal for life is contrasted by his ultra serious daughter who is working so hard to make it through, uh, in the business world and everything like that. Um, and, this film is kind of about the misadventures of both of them as they realize what uh what the importance of the other's world is so i really enjoyed this movie i think this movie is this this is a movie with great great heart um, I, I don't think on a technical level, it's, it's truly all that spectacular. And yet at the same time, because of the wonderful characterizations, I think the direction was nice. And I really do think that the, that, uh, Peter Simonischek and even Sandra Hewler, um, uh, I really did a great job overall. But I think that sometimes the story itself just really tries too hard. Um, and I don't mean it tries too hard to be dramatic. Um, and I don't think it even tries too hard at comedy. I think it tw- tries too hard at the quirks. Um, it tries too hard at the quirks and the characterizations of Winifred, of course, who becomes Tony Erdman in an, in an effort to really, uh, help his daughter 
um, you know, become the woman she needs to be. And of course, even though it's completely ludicrous and she can see right through it, Inez, uh, his daughter, um, allows this charade to play out. So I, I'm, so I think that the quirkiness, I think it just tries too hard in the quirkiness department. I think that it, it still comes from a place of love and of genuine uh, emotion. And I think there's definitely good comedic moments in there, um, as well as um, some contrasted serious lines as well. Um, at the end of the day, I give this one 4.25. It's a really, really solid movie. I do really enjoy it, but I think it's pretty obvious that it's trying too hard in the quirkiness. Uh, and I, and, and I think it pulls you out more than it pulls you in when it does that. So 4.25. What do you got there, Tim? Tony Erdman is a movie that is all about the characters. And if it wasn't for these characters and how they are portrayed and how they were written. And if it wasn't for the basic storyline, it, it would not have been a successful movie, uh, critically especially. Um, these characters are incredibly lovable. It's a lot of fun to watch them develop as the movie goes on. It's a two-hour and 45-minute movie about... And um, I think it says a lot when you don't get tired of these two characters. And one or two, one or, uh, either one of these characters are usually on the screen, uh, are, are usually in every single frame of the movie. Um, but the movie is too long. In fact, the first note as I was watching the movie that I wrote down was too long, too long, too long, too long, too long, too long. So that's about one, two, three, four, five, six times during the movie where I felt like I had to write down it was too long. And really, that was my only negative critique of the movie. Um, it doesn't, I personally felt it didn't try overly too hard um, at being something uh, it was, which I think added to, which I thought added to its charm. Um, in addition to the movie being too long, there were too many unedited shots, which I'm okay sitting down and watching a dramedy for two hours and 40 minutes. Um, in fact, there are a number of movies that I wouldn't mind watching for two hours and 45 minutes, like uh, Manchester by the Sea, for example, is, a, is just a drama. But I easily could have watched that movie for another 30 minutes. It's already two hours and 15 minutes um, because it's wonderfully shot. And the pacing, though it is a little bit slower, works for that movie. There were too many unedited shots with Tony Erdman and... I, and and I definitely think that was the director's fault. Um, I hope they do better with the remake starring Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig, which I think will be absolutely spectacular with Jack Nicholson playing uh, Winfried. Um, but luckily with this version, with this one, the original one, the length does not hinder the character changes, uh, especially with Ennis. Uh, by the end, it was it was very interesting watching not only the father-daughter dynamic by the end of the movie, but her character change. And it the, and the payoff is worth it. it. I think it's definitely worth, worth it. And on top of it, you have how lovably strange Winfried actually is in this movie. Uh, the character is in this movie. So 4.25 out of 5 as well. My biggest complaint is its length. All right, where would you like to go from here? I'm thinking you're going to go with Land of Mine. Sound, 
Am, am I right? Maybe. <laughs> I, I I get the distinct feeling that we're doing this by category. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Land of Mind, uh, 2015 Danish-German historical drama films directed by Martin Zandvliet, uh, or I'm sorry, Zandvliet. And this film, uh, star, it is in, uh, inspired by real events and, and is basically, basically following, um, some young men at the end of World War II who are, uh, German POWs basically and are sent to, um, help clear mines. Um, and, um, in Denmark. So, We we are we, we're following the story here of uh, of a young young man by the name of Sebastian Schumann uh, and thirteen of his friends uh, and comrades, even if they weren't necessarily friends, definitely comrades, uh, as they are sent off to what they refer to as the West Coast in Denmark to go and clear landmines that were placed by the Germans during World War Two. Now, naturally, people are very very upset with the vast majority of German people and, and nowhere are they necessarily more hated, uh, outside of, I'm sure the Jewish community than in Denmark, uh, if you ask the Danes. And so they are, the, the Danes have a gentleman by the name of Sergeant Rasmussen, who is going to ensure that these Nazi scum pay for everything that they did. And there will be no quarter. There will be no, uh, remorse. These men, uh, no matter how young they are, are clearly the devil and they must pay. Well, as we all come to find out in life, things are very rarely as cut and dry, uh, as we would like them to be. And by the end of the war, Germany was literally grabbing 15, 16 year olds off the street and saying, you're going to fucking fight. And not, these kids weren't Nazis any more than we were Nazis. Um, and that's kind of the dichotomy of the drama. At what point does, you know, at what point in reclaiming your humanity, uh, from someone, does justice cease, more or less? It's an interesting moral dilemma. And that's kind of at the heart of the film. Now, I loved, 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 loved this movie. Loved this movie. Um, but I personally just found the story in and of itself to be predictable. Um, I, I don't, um, I, I don't think that that makes it a bad movie by any stretch of imagination, but it, it, I can't give it a five. Despite how much I really enjoyed this movie, uh, I love the characterizations. I think it's a great historical drama. Um, it just telegraphed um, predictability to me. And so um, in the spirit of giving things a boost, I, I was initially thinking 4.5 for this, but I am going to give it a 4.75 because I really think it's worth seeing. And I really do think it's a great movie, but I just think it's predictable. So, 4.75 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? I thoroughly enjoyed this one as well. 4.5 out of 5 for me. 
My biggest complaint is that the the edginess that the movie kind of began with in both in tone and characterization, I felt got muddled down when uh, when the the commander, the general, uh, I, I forgot, I don't remember what his rank is, the overseer of these German kids. Um, once he becomes more, dare I say, somewhat likable, um, the it, it begins it begins kind of feeling like a crowd pleaser in, in a way, which I think that might be a little bit different from being predictable. It's just the feeling of it felt a little bit more lighthearted. Like, like it lacked the grit. It lacked the um, uh, what word am I trying to think of? It lacked the. Uh, uh, shit. Okay, hang on, Matt. Help me with this. I'm look. It's a word. It means say, uh, like these kids. They're going to look for the bombs. Yet the entire time they're like, oh shit. I don't know if this is a bomb that's going to go off or if I'm going to live the net to the next day. That is, I guess, what anticipation. No. Um, Um, and I mean, it's not indecisiveness. Um, it's not equivocation. It's, there's a, there's a word. There's like a $3 word for this. I know where you're going. I know what you mean. I, for whatever it's worth, I know what you mean. I know what you're trying to say. I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, (laughs) predictability, maybe, I don't know, but it, but it just lacked that edginess that um that the opening of the movie had it raw it's very raw their quandary yeah 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 and and that's their that's their quandary they they they're trying to balance their wanting to live with their stakes with, stakes with the, that's what i'm thinking of the movie <laughs> there we go that's what i was thinking of stakes the movie the stakes okay sure yeah which Maybe didn't really make sense the way that I was explaining it, but the movie lacked, felt like it, it lacked the stakes that it did at the beginning of the film. Uh, it, it felt a little too comfortable. So that is why I'm giving it a 4.5 out of 5. Definitely worth seeing. I've been looking forward to watching this for a handful of months now, so I'm glad to see it on the list. Okay, so we now have the animated movies. Um, I'm going to also go out on a limb and predict the red turtle next <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right <clears throat> let's see here uh red turtle it's a 2016 animated fantasy film and this is actually directed and co-written by Dutch British animator Michael Dudok de Witt in his feature film debut this is actually a combination the two uh, two Production companies primarily attached to this uh, were Wild Bunch and, of course, Studio Ghibli. And this basically tells the story of a man who ends up shipwrecked, uh, is, is trying to escape um, his shipwrecked status, if you will, and is unable to leave due to the interference of a red turtle. And it's... Um, and and what to do this this red turtle is purposely blocking away um and yet you're trying to balance the idea of 
survival of companionship, uh, companionship and uh, at the same time, uh, what that means if one takes over the other. So, um, I found this movie to be a very, very decent movie, but what I, what I did not like about the movie is I felt like it was sacrifice in, in in its in its zeal to tell a truly compelling story in in terms of companionship. It sacrifices the suspension of disbelief that the fantasy is asking you to accept. And I mean, again, this is a fantasy. It's you, you know clearly we've got a big giant red turtle that's purposely blocking someone from escaping from i mean right okay so i mean we i'm willing to accept the world of the fantasy and and understand its rules and thus suspend my you know suspend my disbelief but i think that the contrasting notions of what is happening beyond say the 20 minute mark i guess i i would say that's probably fair yeah around the 20 25 minute mark beyond that um i i really truly think that um it loses its way because it starts shifting the focus from the uh from the survival aspect to the companionship aspect and i think that the companionship aspect has a good story to tell but i just don't think that the backdrop used worked as well as it should it's still a really cool movie, though. Really interesting film. Uh, and there's lots to explore, especially in the characterizations, especially when, um, you, you know, you have, uh, for, for, I mean, basically, you know, no real names. Um, and, uh, so, so even then, you're kind of allowed to put what you want on it. Uh, so I give this one 4.5 out of 5. Just a super, super solid movie. Really liked it. But um, I think I think the storytelling lost its way a little bit. What do you got there, Tim? Uh, I have nothing to add to that. 4.5 as well. Wholeheartedly agree with every single thing you just said. Damn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did not see that coming. All right. Uh, then I guess we end with my life as a zucchini, as we know it here, but also known as my life as a courgette. This is a French-Swiss stop-motion animated film, 2016, and is directed by Claude Barras. It is a film about a boy who, uh, in some very, in in a very weird and outlandish way, um, ends up as an orphan, and it is dealing with the real, in a very very unique way. It's, it deals with the the life and tribulations of orphans of an age uh in you know in in the adolescent and, and even to teenage years uh, um and i and i must say i must truly applaud this movie for um bringing something that actually can hit home in a variety of ways. I think that the presentation uh, would definitely draw younger people in. I think that the subject matter, though, is something that, albeit in a um, 
kind of a, a fantastical way due to its presentation, you know, it's kind of colorful stop motion, uh, would also allow, you know, those same adolescent, you know, 17 to 20 uh, group to kind of relate. But I think that the story it's telling is something that resonates with, um, with an older, with, with an older generation. The problem with the movie is that I think that it, um, I think that it tries a little too hard to walk the line between its, uh, visual storytelling and its actual story. And, something kind of had to give and they made it give in favor of the visual storytelling, which is fine, which is fine, but it's, but it makes the story you're watching kind of suffer a little bit. Um, if for whatever reason, you're not buying into, uh, the presentation of that story. So I, and, and for example, we have, uh, um, Corget, who is, of course, you know, my life is a Corget. Uh, he has a, a friend named Simon. Um, and then there's also another young, uh, young girl who, uh, whose name is Camille. And there's, um, a subplot re- involving her and her mother and, uh, or her aunt rather. And I think that instead of just letting the story be more organic on its own, especially given the backdrop of some of the seriousness of the reasons why these kids are orphans, um, they could have, I think they could have relied on that storytelling instead of using its visual style to kind of augment a simpler story, uh, in hopes that you're like, you're just kind of wowed by what you're looking at. Um, but it, it, it just kind of makes certain aspects of the story, which kind of are key to the narrative flow, become less than effective. So I give this movie 4.5 out of 5, a super solid movie. But um, for me, where... Um, like, for example, I gave Moana a 5. And uh, not because it's Disney, not you know... I, um, or anything, I mean, I guess partly because of that, but, um, what Moana did right versus what My Life as a Zucchini did right is the story that it was telling on all of its levels was very solid. And it matched it with the beauty of its setting and using that in its vibrancy to give you something rem- just remarkably beautiful in its visual storytelling. Here, the um it's not you know remarkably beautiful visuals it is strikingly strong visuals that are done in the stop animation style that are that are truly gorgeous to look at but i think that when it's focusing so heavily on that it's not bringing the story to its fullest at all times so that's where i found that to give you a, a different kind of a context on that so 4.5 out of 5 for my life as a zucchini. Really, really good, though. Really good. And um, bring us home, Tim? Question mark? It was fantastic. It was so good, I'm not going to rate it. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, t- Tim did not. Tim was not. It was unable to see this film, unfortunately. But I will. I will be able to watch it before the actual Academy Awards. So stay tuned on Twitter. Oh, there you go. All right, sweet. So we'll be able. To, uh, we, we will be able to find out. Most likely when the show drops, we'll be able to find out what Tim thought, eventually, of my life as a zucchini. So, I do believe then that brings us to the end of the movies. And now, we come to... The Oscar nominees! And Oscar picks! The main event. (laughs) Ah, yes, because I'm not old. Okay, so we're just going to go top down. I'm on the Oscar.go.com slash nominees page for all of those who want to follow along. Let's do do bottom up so we can end with movies and all that fancy stuff. Oh, hey, that is a very good call. I like that. All right, so scroll down to the bottom of the page, kids. (sighs) Okay, so... We're starting at the bottom. Writing original screenplay. We have Hell or High Water, La La Land, The Lobster, Manchester by the Sea, and 20th Century Women. Uh, Tim, what are you thinking, sir? Um, I will take either 20th Century Women or Hell or High Water. Personally, I think uh, my two favorites are Hell or High Water and 20th Century Women. If I had to pick one, which obviously I do, I'll go with 20th Century Women. However, I wouldn't be surprised if Manchester by the Sea uh, takes it. Because it's a, I mean, it's a good script, but it's just there's something about the dialogue of 20th Century Women that I connected to. And I thought it worked really well. And I think Mike Mills also has the upper hand since he won for best uh original screenplay with beginners three four five six years ago fair enough okay so um my two um were actually hell or high water and the lobster i thought um i i really thought that the lobster is i mean come on that that's an original story um <laughs> uh, as turns it goes but i think like you um hell or high water is um is a strong contender and that's going to be my pick i'm i'm going to stand by hell or high water i i really think that that's got the i think it's got the legs overall to pull it out and now we move to writing adapted screenplay and we have arrival Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Moonlight. Matt, I know you're going to go with Arrival, so I'm going with Damn Moonlight. Damn it, don't give it away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my pick is Moonlight. Uh, I think Fences uh, is, uh, is is another great contender. It's based on a great play by August Wilson, and the dialogue is fantastic. But when it comes to adapting for a screenplay... I think Moonlight takes the cake. Uh, it was it, it, the characters were well written, uh, written out, and characterized. And these are characters that have to be characterized firsthand, or first off, or firstly on the script, on the page. So my pick is Moonlight. I agree, one hundred percent. 
Uh, I, I, I think the two top contenders really and truly are going to be Moonlight and Fences. Um, I mean, I could, I, just because August Wilson's passed away and because it was such a, um, it, it really was a, a, a difficult and lengthy process to get fences made. I could see it sneaking out and getting it, but I'm, I'm standing with you on Moonlight, sir. I, I think Moonlight is the best. Cool. And that was written by uh, Barry Jenkins. Yes. Uh, all right. Moving into visual effects, we have Deepwater Horizon, Doctor Strange, The Jungle Book, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Hmm. Well, everybody is seeing that Jungle Book is going to take it due to it being completely shot in a warehouse in downtown Los Angeles. They had to create every single visual aspect of that movie besides the young boy and some of the props he holds. Um, so I can definitely see that movie taking it. We saw a lot of the same kind of visual effects from Star Wars Rogue One in uh, a Star Wars of uh, The Force Awakens, even though I do think Rogue One has some absolutely beautiful, delicious visual treats. Doctor Strange does as well as uh, uh, as well. Uh, it does have some great visual treats in it. Uh, however, they're more peppered throughout, and yet a lot of these special effects is still muddled down with that kind of you know what what you see in every single uh, uh, other Marvel movie that those type of special effects. Um, But I would rather see Kubo and the Two Strings take it. I think what Steve Emerson and Oliver Jones and company, what they did with Kubo was absolutely stunning. And I watched some more behind-the-scenes video of it within the past uh, couple weeks, and it just it blows me away, continuously blows me away. But I think the Jungle Book is going to take it as much as I want Kubo to take it. So then you would like to see Kubo but you're calling it for the jungle book. Correct. Okay. All right. My, yeah. Um, I, my, I, I have a rough time between jungle book for number one and then whether or not Dr. Strange and rogue one are better. Um, because I think, I think like you said, they're both spectacular in their visual presentations, but I kind of feel like it's the, it's the same kind of stuff you, you've seen before. Um, brought to the next level. Like, I mean, they seriously brought it, but, it's just almost becoming par for the course. Um, Jungle Book, on the other hand, um, you know, it, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to call it for Jungle Book, but I, I think that uh, Doctor Strange and Rogue One also fully deserved their nominations. But I do believe Jungle Book is gonna edge it out. Let's see. Moving into sound mixing, we have Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Um, I think I'm going to go with Hacksaw Ridge with this one. Agreed. I would, uh, I would give Hacksaw Ridge the edge on that and same with the sound Uh, editing as well for me yeah okay so here's here's 
here's where I uh, think I I agree with you on hacksaw uh, on hacksaw ridge for sound editing, and I want and I'm calling it I want hacksaw to ridge to win for sound editing as well as sound mixing. But while I did not like Arrival, I can I can see a case being made for its sound editing. Um especially in regards to the whole language aspect, the atmosphere that it was trying to create. I can see how that editing um, would ha- would would make it stand out. Um, and as much as it pains me to say that, I, I, I must be fair. Um, but I, I, I agree, I'm calling Hacksaw Ridge for sound editing as well as sound mixing. And just for the record, the sound editing was Arrival, Deep Water Horizon, Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, and Sully. And for those of you who are confused between what exactly sound mixing and sound editing is, sound editing is, I guess, the creation of the sound, and sound mixing is the mixing of the sound. Uh, So we're both Putting all the sounds together. It's when you're putting all the sounds together versus the actual creation of the sounds themselves, which would be the sound. Yeah, like ADR and all that good stuff. Correct. All right. Uh, We are not covering the short films, so we will bypass those. And you can, Uh, as well as with the short documentaries and the animated shorts, you can find a lot of these online if you guys do want to check them out. It's pretty fascinating. Sure, and uh, Piper was the uh, short from uh, Moana, I think. Oh yeah, about the the little right? bird. Yeah, so you can. I mean, so it's not like you can't get that if you didn't want to. Um, all right, uh, production design. This is Arrival, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them. Hail Caesar, La La Land, and Passengers. I think I am going to have to go with La La Land with this one. See, this is this one's a tough one for me because I think of all of the stuff that La La Land deserves, this is really one of them. But man, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them really nailed it so very well and the same thing with hail caesar i really think um the strength of its uh, anything that that movie did right uh was in creating the environment of the period piece that it's that it is um and i know that we were both disappointed with that movie when we went and saw it um earlier very early about a year ago actually um but Man, that they're those three are seriously the strong contenders, and it's hard for me to pick between the three of them. Um, uh, I I think uh, at the end of the day, I would like to see Fantastic Beasts get it, but I believe in all likelihood La La Land's going to pull it out. So I will declare La La Land. La La Lila Land. There you go. All right, so we now move to music, original song. Uh, let's see here. We have Audition from La La Land, Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls, City of Stars from La La Land, The Empty Chair from Jim, the James Foley story, and How Far I'll Go from Moana. 
What are you thinking there, too? My two favorites are the two, or my two choices would be between the two La La Land movies, movies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> songs. Um, my favorite is Audition, but I think it's going to have to go to City of Stars, even though it's not really my favorite. Um, but it, that seems to be the popular one right now. So as much as I would like Audition to take it, I believe City of Stars will be it. Oof. All right. Well, um, I rank, the, if I were to rank them, this is how I'd rank them. A literal tie between Audition and How Far I'll Go. Uh, the Empty Chair, Can't Stop the Feeling, and City of Stars. And the only reason I put Can't Stop the Feeling above City of Stars is because Can't Stop the Feeling, you just can't help but like that goddamn song. Um, you know, go JT, right? But um, I don't know. I just, I, I think City of Stars works in the context of the movie, but I don't think the the song works on its own. I, I simply don't. Um, and I, I feel, I feel like it was Miss... Uh, misnominated, and I'm clearly in the minority on that. I, I fully understand. Ooh, that. I, but I fully um, agree with you. And uh, um, so it, it is really, really hard for me to pick between audition and how far I'll go. Um, gun to my head, I'm my I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cave corporate and go Disney here, but. Um, I would not be sad at all if Audition won. I, I truly, they're both, they are both equally good. Um, so, uh, audition and how far I'll go. I'm going to go ahead and just land on how far I'll go um, as my declaration. Totally not going to be surprised if Audition gets it um, and would not be at all disappointed if Audition took it off of how far I'll go. So how far I'll go is the, is the pick for me. Um, music, original score. We have Jackie, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Passengers. Um, I don't even think it's a, ch I don't even think it's a chance. I, I don't think the other ones have a fucking chance. I'm pretty sure La La Land's going to get this. Yeah, I don't know. I I think, I don't, uh, I, I, I mean, I like Jackie a lot. Uh, I want to be different and say Jackie. Okay. <laughs> Mika Levy or Levy for Jackie. Right on. All right. Makeup and hairstyling. We have A Man Called Ove, uh, Star Trek Beyond, and Suicide Squad. Star Trek Beyond for sure. Okay. Now, I, I uh, um, have had some personal issues at home. I had kind of planned to try and see Star Trek Beyond this week. Uh, that's not going to be possible. But... I did see Suicide Squad. I have seen a man called Ove. Um, or Uve. However, I, even just only having watched the trailers versus what I have seen in Suicide Squad, I would be inclined to give it to Star Trek Beyond. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and call Star Trek Beyond on that as well. Uh, foreign language film. Land of Mine, A Man Called Ove, The Salesman, Tony Erdman, and Tana. What do you got there, Tim? Well, my clear favorite of the one that we've uh, watched 
or and actually have seen um, and reviewed uh, a man called Ove is my absolute favorite, but everybody and their mother has been talking about the salesman. And based on what I've been reading, it sounds like the salesman is going to take this Oscar. So my choice is the salesman. However, I would be ecstatic if Ove gets it. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was the only one we weren't able to cover was the salesman, unfortunately. Um, So... Basing it on what I've seen, um, Land of Mine actually edged out A Man Called Duvet, uh, for me. So I would say Land of Mine. Totally would not hurt my feelings if A Man Called Duvet saw it. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, given, yeah, given the climates, given things that are going on in the trades and whatnot, I agree with Tim. I think Salesman's gonna get it. So I will say Salesman. Uh, let's see here. Moving on to film editing. We have Arrival. Dear God, please no. Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, La La Land, and Moonlight. Hell or High Water for me, Matthew. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, because I really want Hacksaw Ridge to win, but I really want Hell or High Water to win. Ah, <laughs> uh, um... Uh, damn it. Yeah, you know what? I agree with you, Tim. Hell or high water. It pains me to say, but hell or high water. <laughs> I really want Hacksaw, uh, but it's not fair. It's not fair. I think hell or high water is the better edited film, to be fair. So, uh, all right. Uh, we did not cover the documentary short subjects. Um, so we're not going to go with there. Uh, documentary features Fire at Sea, I Am Not Your Negro, Life Animated, OJ, Made in America, and 13th. What do you think there, Tim? Well, I Am Not Your Negro and Life Animated are both tied for my number two. However, I feel like OJ, Made in America, will be the winner. You think so? See, I'm, I'm thinking that I Am Not Your Negro is going to top OJ. I, I, Even though I think OJ, I think, I think OJ's, I, you know, I want OJ to get it, but I think I Am Not Your Negro is going to grab it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think there's some, some novelty in a seven plus hour documentary being so damn good and so damn, uh, you know, informative. Easily it could have been longer, um, in, in my book at least. And I, I, I don't know, like, I, I still have discussions about O.J. Made in America uh, with people. Granted, more people have seen that than they've seen I'm Not Your Negro or uh, Life Animated, but I don't know. It, I, 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 just, I, I have this gut feeling that it's going to be O.J. Okay, well then, by God, sir, once again, I'm joining you in that. This 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 year has been very weird. This is we've really agreed like a whole fuck lot. <laughs> I mean, just I don't even. This is really weird. All right, so I I could see I am not your Negro, uh, you know, sneaking away with it. But like Tim, I'm down. All right, my money's on OJ. Made in America. So that's where we're going. Uh, moving to directing, we have Arrival, we have Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. What are you thinking there, Tim? I am going to go with La La Land. 
Damien Chazelle. And and that's that's a fair pick. However, um I I feel that for me the the two people in the race here uh, are actually Mel Gibson and Barry Jenkins. Um I I can see how I'm wrong, but for me I think that's those are the two movies uh with the best direction. Um and I and and I think just on point of principle, right or wrong, going down in flames, um, I'm gonna go with Hacksaw Ridge. Um, I, I really, I, I want it for Mel so badly. Yeah, so. but there's also Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. I know, I know, and and if and if it were any other year, I would be fine with Barry Jenkins. But I really think this is, um, I, I really think it. Uh, I really think that given uh, all of the stuff that we've gone through over the last five or six years, talking about everything that's been going on with Mel Gibson, I, I really feel like um, this is it. I think this is his. I think this is a shot. So, um, but yeah, for me, the two people to pick between were Mel Gibson and Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins, of course, for Moonlight. So, uh, I am going to land on Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge for directing. Uh, costume design. We have Allied. We have Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. We have Florence Foster Jenkins. We have Jackie, and we have La La Land. I might have to go with Jackie on this one. See, me too. I know it's like, but this is where it starts getting all weird. Do you think this is where La La Land's gonna start sweeping shit, or do you think Jackie really has a chance? I don't know. I mean. Just, I mean, there was just more to Jackie's costumes, you know. I don't know, like La La. Well, see, that's what everybody that's, else that's dressed up like La a La hipster Land. in La La Land. See, that's what I'm saying. That's the problem with La La Land. But everybody's going to be like, "Oh, La La Land! Oh, it's so part of the thing." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll give it to you. It looked good. It was so good. I, I mean, I stupidly kept thinking of the '80s costuming and stuff, and thought it was part in the '80s. And you're like, "What the fuck, Matt?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right. That didn't happen." So <laughs> I agree. The costume design is good in La La Land, but I think, like you, Jackie is the better choice. I just, I don't know. Um, I want for Jackie to win, but um, I'm picking La La Land for costume design. I think that I think it's gonna. I'll be happy if I'm wrong. But I think this is where La La Land's going to start stealing shit that it doesn't deserve. Uh, let's see here. Cinematography. We have Arrival. We have La La Land. We have Lion. We have Moonlight. And we have Silence. Um, I'm just going to quickly say Moonlight with this one. You think so? I think so. It, okay. I mean, it could be La La Land. It's just... See, again, I think it's La La Land, and I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if Silence won, um, especially given how, how important the cinematography is to the movie itself, to the actual storytelling. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe, huh. Well, I get, I don't know. La La Land or Moonlight? Hmm. Oh, no. All right, you know what? Screw it. I can't decide. I'm going to go Dark Horse. I'm just going to say Silence. I'm going to say Silence. Okay. Ooh. Let's, see. Let's see what happens. See what happens. I'm probably wrong. Don't worry about and it. And it's a tough year. It's a very tough year. 
Uh, all right, so we've got animated feature film Kubo and the Two Strings, Moana, My Life as a Zucchini, uh, The Red Turtle, and Zootopia. I'm gonna keep going with my with with my personal belief, or with not my personal belief, but my personal choice with a number of these because between La La Land and freaking Disney and freaking. Uh, uh, Moonlight. It, I, it, it's a, it's a, it's a big grab bag at this point. It's crazy. Um, I think Zootopia might get it because everybody is into that. Um, I rewatched Zootopia a couple weeks ago and actually enjoyed it less than I did when I saw it at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stick with Kubo because. I, I, I don't know. Right. Like, it's, to me, it's the better Good movie. For you. Yeah. To me, it's the better Good. movie. Good for you. No, seriously. Um, I, I, you know, of course, you know me. I've got the kids and everything. So yes, of course, I am getting all in Zootopia. I will, however, say that the kids are actually excited about Kubo and the Two Strings, which is nice. Oh, really? Um, did, did they watch it? Yeah. Um, actually, I am trying to track down the four pack where you can get Paranorman, uh, and uh, Kubo and um. Uh, box trolls and oh, like Coraline. Uh, Coraline, yeah, they actually have a four pack, and I saw it, uh, and I didn't grab it when I should have, and now I can't find it. So I'm waiting to get the four pack. Uh, but yes, the girl, the kids are all about it. Um, I, I too, I think Zootopia is a fun movie and everything, but I, I truly don't think it should have even been nominated, especially when you're against movies like Kubo, when you're against movies like Moana, um against movies even like my life is a zucchini and red eternal i i think uh that the uh and and i did not um enjoy some of the things about kubo as much as i did about zootopia in the initial review but that was more voice characterizations than the story than the storytelling itself and the animation style so i'm not holding that necessarily against kubo and i and i uh, and i think it deserves its nomination but I really don't know why Zootopia is here, to be quite to be quite honest with you. Um, at the end of the day, I'm gonna stick uh, I'm gonna stick with Moana on this. It was my highest rated film uh, from the animated features, but um, it's a tough field. It's a tough field. Um, I, I I I am not 100% convinced that it's a lock for Disney this year. Um, I I could see um, I, I could see dark horses out of this but i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna land on moana uh all right so we now we go to actress in a supporting role we have viola davis for fences naomi harris for moonlight nicole kidman for lion octavia spencer for hidden figures and michelle williams for manchester by the sea viola davis that's all i gotta say I, I'm pretty sure she's gonna win. So not fair to Naomi Harris. I mean, also I can see Michelle Williams, but fuck I that. think it's Viola Davis. Fuck that. I like Michelle Williams and all, but fuck that. Viola Davis or Naomi Harris. Um, and it's so sad because I think any other year Naomi Harris would have just run away with this fucking shit. Um, God damn it. All right, Viola Davis. <laughs> Um, okay. Actor in a supporting role. Mara, uh, Marshala Ali for Moonlight. 
Jeff Bridges, Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges, Manchester by the Sea, Dev Patel in Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. I really want Jeff Bridges from Hell or High Water to win, but I have a feeling it's going to be Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. Um, I think it's a toss-up between the two of them. I'm going to go with Mahershala, but I really want Jeff Bridges. See, here's, here's my quandary, to use my quandary word again. Jeff Bridges um, totally, totally owned it. And so did Michael Shannon, in my opinion, for Nocturnal Animals. He's like the only highlight of that fucking movie, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> um, but they literally played the same character. So it's kind of like, well, shit, man. If you like Jeff Bridges, then how the hell do you want you pick Michael Shannon, right? Um, but I'm like you too, Tim. I, I really feel like Mahershala, Mahershala Ali could completely land this. And... Um, so see for me I'm I'm having trouble between picking the three of them not the two of them. But um I think um just so that we can have uh, all of our ducks covered as it will. I am super happy for Michael Shannon to have been nominated uh but I will pick Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water. Um this way uh, I I think if one of us is wrong the other's guaranteed to be right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Actress in a leading role. We have Isabel Hooper for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, I want Natalie Portman to take it. However, Emma Stone is getting so much buzz. I've, I'm going to go with Natalie Portman because she nailed it. She nailed Jackie. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who were we talking about last week. Annette Benning. We you were saying that Annette Benning had been snubbed by not being nominated for an actress in a leading role. Oh yeah. Um, and I had mistakenly said that I would drop Isabel Hooper to give her that spot. I was wrong. I would drop Meryl Streep and put Annette Benning in her spot if there was someone that I could uh, replace for this lineup. Um. I, I, um, I certainly, uh, I certainly can see Natalie Portman, uh, winning. Um, and I think, frankly, she deserves it more than Emma Stone, but I'm gonna go ahead and this is, again, where I feel like La La Land's gonna start stealing shit. Uh, so I'm gonna say Emma Stone. I agree with you, Tim, but I just, you know, I think the fix is in. All right, actor in a leading role, Casey Affleck, Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling, La La Land, Vigo, Vigo, Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. As much as I can appreciate Vigo Mortensen's 13-inch performance, I'm going with Casey <laughs> Affleck. Yeah, I think this is again where... I don't know that he necessarily deserves it, but I think this is kind of the unstoppable train. And I think this is the only thing that's going to derail La La Land. So I kind of feel a little bit bad for Ryan Gosling in this regard. Um, if I had my druthers, I would pick um, Andrew Garfield. That's who I would love to see win this. Um, but I agree that at this point it's unstoppable. Uh, Casey Affleck is going to get it. And finally, best picture. 
Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. What do you think with this one? Okay. Um, sadly, I think La La Land's going to take it. Um, personally, I think the three that deserve it are Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, and Moonlight. All for very different reasons. And I have a really hard time trying to pick between those three. Um, and I guess I'm lucky that I don't have to because I'm pretty sure La La Land's just going to get it. Um, I will be so happy if I'm wrong, but, um, uh, as, as long as it's not a rival, fuck the world if it's a rival. I don't want to live on this planet anymore if it's a rival. Um, <laughs> but, um, I really think La La Land's going to take it, but, I mean, God, Hacksaw Ridge was so powerful. Hell or High Water, what a great character. Oh, my God, what a great character. Even though we both, uh, I think me more than you, uh, had a problem with the younger brother, felt he was kind of tropey and taking a little too far in terms of, you know, telling the story. Still, what a powerful, powerful movie. Moonlight, holy crap. What a year to bring, uh, you know, with with... Past controversies, you know, with hashtags Oscars so white and everything. Um, you know, what a fantastic movie uh, to really knock it out of the park and bring it for best picture. Uh, again, and you can even argue the same for Fences, even though I don't think Tim and I agree that it's the best picture. Um, but you could at least make a viable case for Fences as well. So, man. I have a really hard time picking between Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, and Moonlight. Um, I think the the three real contenders are between Moonlight, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, and La La Land. On a, that's just my personal pick that of the ones that are probably in serious contention. Um, I would love to see Hacksaw Ridge get it. Um, I, I really and truly think La La Land's going to pull it off, though. My theory is this: either Damien Chazelle is going to get nominated or win Best Director for La La Land, and Moonlight will win Best Picture, or Barry Jenkins will win Best Director and uh, for Moonlight, and La La Land will win Best Picture. Um, I think. Say that yeah, sure. I, I think Barry Jenkins deserves both Best Director and the Best Picture. Um, and, uh, so I guess I, I'm going to have to go with Moonlight. I really do hope, uh, I, I don't, I think Moonlight is definitely the better movie. Agreed. And I, I'm, I'm just going to go with Moonlight. I'll be different. Okay. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. All right. Well, we've done it, folks. We've done it. And... <laughs> We're, and for whatever it's worth, we're really only 10 minutes longer than normal. So, <laughs> so for whatever it's worth, we didn't like go too far overboard. Uh, but that's it. We're going to have an, uh, we're basically going to have a, an Oscar, uh, an Academy Awards detox as kind of a fun bonus segment for next week. The movies for next week are going to be the Lego Batman movie and the Great Wall. Um, and we'll kind of start getting back into the normal groove of things. So um, I think without further ado, is it time for the spiel, sir? Spiel on. All 
ride while the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes, favorite us on Stitcher Radio, or even get us on the old SoundCloud. And until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Samuel L. Jackson, I get to say this. People know about the Klan and the overt racism, but the killing of one soul little by little, day after day, is a lot worse than someone coming in your house and lynching you. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.